So my name is Aiden. I am the associate pastor of outreach. So we got a new microphone, uh, Mike Pack, for trying it out, working out the kinks. They're doing a great job back there, so thank you. Um, but if you hear a little feedback, that's what's going on. Um, if you've been here in the second service, we've had, we've had some issues with this microphone. And as like the media guy, so I'm, I'm also associate pastor of outreach, but also lead of the media team. Like this thing has been driving me crazy. And it's only in the second service. We can't figure, I think it has something to do with, I, I don't know. There's lots of theories about it, but so we're still working through things, but we got a new one. Hey, hey. So hopefully these things will be in the past. Um, so today uh, we're in the middle of the church on mission uh, is the series, church on mission. And if you were with us last week, uh, Jonathan Weibel, uh, he came and shared about front yard missions, and uh, the response to that was was awesome. I actually caught up with him midweek uh, on a Zoom call and with some other folks, and he was sharing how like, hey, after I shared on Sunday, like so many people from your, I think they were from your church. They just like the Facebook page, like it just blew up with people requesting to join the front yard mission group. So uh, that's I don't know who that is, but some of you folks here. So if you have not done that yet. Go check it out, Front Yard Mission on Facebook. They're sharing ideas on how we can love our neighbors, how we can pray for them, how we can invite them uh, into life with us and into relationship with Jesus. So that, that's last week. A couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Aaron was talking about the persecuted church. as like, this is the, the front lines of the church, the church that's underground, and how we can be a part of that ministry through supporting them financially, through praying for the persecuted church. And then uh, at the beginning of the series, we had oh, Josh Grimes. I love that guy uh, and the work they're doing up in Lock Haven and church planting and how the church is ever expanding. Uh, so today, uh, we are. this message is called, This is My Father's World. And how is the mission of Christ a global mission? And it's not just for our neighborhoods. It's not just for... Um, it, it is all of these things, but it's also, it's, it's all-encompassing. You know, as, as, as the Great Commission says in Matthew 28, 19, if you've, you've heard this maybe before, if you're part of an Alliance church, I, I'd hope that we'd be calling out the Great Commission regularly and saying, go, as Jesus said, and make disciples of what? Of all nations. All right, my Awana friends who learn their Bible verses. Yeah, go and make disciples of all nations. This thing that we're doing here is not just for us. It's not just to do some good, but this is, this is to go, to listen to that call of Christ. So, uh, you know, I, I have a, a limited experience in this. We have, we have others in our church I have, have long-term experience in being overseas. I can see some of them like Roger Young, if you don't know, he was over in Russia for a while. The Jones family, they were over in Germany for uh, 10 years, or so, I guess. And so, like, if you want, like, firsthand knowledge, like, I actually called Don up. I was like, Don, can you help me out with this? <laughs> so give me some tips here. What was it like for you? Um, so let, I, I, they are resources for our church. In my limited experience, I've gone on some short-term mission trips uh, in, multi, you know, in other countries. And you know, my, my takeaway from this, I'll share several of them, but one of them is like, we don't always get it right. Uh, if you were here maybe a month and a half ago, I shared about one of those trips when we were, we were, I was hanging drywall and I had to do it like, I was fixing it from another group and like, okay, I'm going to fix this and do this right. And then we ended up having to do this three times that we tore this drywall off and like, okay, not so good. It was on that same trip that um, we were in charge of running a VBS for the kids uh, that, that live in the neighborhood. And uh, so we, we were doing the, the parable of the mustard seed and we thought, okay, this would be great. Uh, I'm going to share about, you know, you have like a small seed of faith. And I said, like, well, wouldn't it be great if the kids could have like some scripture they could take home with them on their craft 
uh, that they're making. So we prepared a craft for them to do. And like, we have to have like, enough to do like 200 kids' worth. So how are we gonna, I'm not going to write this out 200 times in Spanish. I don't even speak Spanish very, at all. Uh, and so, that, well, why don't we print them on address labels? And then part of the kids' craft, they can take this and they can stick it on their craft. And they've got Matthew 13, 31, and 32. So, but I got to find it in Spanish. And this was... You, you know, maybe a decade ago or so before there was, uh, you know, a Bible Gateway where you can look up a translation or Google Translate where I can type in the words and say, translate this for me. So I'm like, how am I going to get this scripture in Spanish? So uh, Emily's brother, so my wife Emily, her brother and my brother-in-law, he, he lived in Costa Rica for a time, spoke Spanish. I'm like, I think he has a Spanish Bible. And it's like, hey, James, what's his name? James, can you translate this for me? So I sent him the, the scripture reference. And he's like, yeah, sure. Sent it back in an email. Again, I don't read Spanish. We printed out 200 of these little stickers. Take it down to Peru with us. And then the day of the VBS, we're pulling out our equipment and all our supplies. And my wife, Emily, who does speak more Spanish than I do, she pulls it out and she's like, what scripture is this? I say, it's the parable of the mustard seed. And she's reading and says, yeah, but the last word is like, dientes. Dientes is teeth. <laughs> like, uh, what's the reference on it? It's supposed to be Matthew 13, 31, and 32. She said, uh, it's Matthew 13, 41, and 42. Let me read to you what it says in Matthew 13, 41, and 42. Uh, I'll just skip to 42. Well, I'll read them both. 41, it says, the kingdom of heaven. Um, is that the right one? Yeah. Uh, no, 41. There we go. The, uh, the son of man will send his angels... And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Dientes. Here you go, kids. Here's your Bible lesson for today. Uh, yeah, we threw those out. So much for that idea. We don't always get it right. Um, you know, whether it's a language thing or a cultural understanding thing, there are all kinds of ways we can get it wrong. Um, so maybe hopefully what we can do today is get some of the, the why. Why do we go? What does that mean? Why, why, do, why do we go on mission? What does God need to do in us to prepare us to be on mission? And so today we're going to be focusing on uh, mostly on one scripture, Acts 1.8. Um, and, and, and if you've been around the Christian and Missionary Alliance for any sort of time, you know that this, is, this, this verse is, is part of the culture of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I don't know if it was our, our current national president, John Stumbo, but this is when it kind of came into my, my, my awareness was that uh, I think it was him who started saying that, that we, as the Christian and Missionary Alliance, the denomination we're a part of, that we are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. And like that has been repeated year after year after year. This is like, this is who we are striving to be. And if you look at the, like their, their missions initiative for this year, it's called All of Jesus for all of the world. And like this is what our denomination is about. So if, if there's a Sunday to talk about our Father's world and, and what he wants to do in us and through us, this is the scripture that we're going to be looking at. So it says this in Acts 1 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So we're going to be hanging out uh, right in Acts 1, looking at that, at that scripture. And, and as I was preparing this message uh, today, the, the, some words just kept coming through my, my mind uh, just over and over and over again. I'm like, where was that from, this, this phrase? And I'll share it with you in a minute. But it turns out, as I was thinking back, it's like, oh, about a decade ago, maybe again, around the same time, that uh, I was part of the United Methodist Church, working a part-time job as a music, uh, music ministry there, and uh, came into contact with another pastor in that denomination, whose name is Ed Ziders. And we went to a, it was an eve, or a weekend retreat for youth, and he was speaking there. And I had never heard someone speak who was so passionate about the gospel. And as an older man, was just connecting so well with these youth and sharing like who Jesus is and what he's done and, and who they are in his sight and what he's calling them to do. And I was like, I gotta get to know that guy. Uh, so I reached out to him and was like, hey, I don't know you, but I heard you talk. And I'm like, how did you get to where you are? And what, what just, I wanna, I wanna get to know who, you, I wanna get to know you. So he agreed to meet with me. Uh, and we met several times and he shared these uh, three principles that he tried to live by uh, in every decision he made and everything that he did. So I'm gonna share with you those three principles. Uh, we also met together with my wife and I. And I have to tell you, that's probably one of the first times when they say about like the better half. I was like, like I, he would ask us a question and I would say an answer. And then he's like, what do you think, Emily? And then she would answer, and he'd be like, when I said something, he'd be like, hmm, okay. And then she would answer and be like, oh, that was so good. She's like, what about me? <laughs> I want one of those so goods. Nah, she's the better half. <laughs> so anyway, so that, that was Ed, and I'll share with you his principles for living and how they connect with these, uh, the, the parts of the scripture, Acts 1.8. So we're going to start at the beginning of it, uh, and it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So I want to take a moment to look at just like, wh when was Jesus speaking this to his disciples? What, what was the context for this? What was going on? And this is, you know, the beginning of Acts. This is the very end of his earthly ministry, right before uh, he was taken up and ascended into heaven. And if you go back a couple verses, he tells them a little bit more about what this, you know, the receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says this in Acts 4. He gives them some very uh, specific directions on what they're supposed to do and how this, what's this supposed to look like. So verse 4 in Acts 1, it says, And while staying with them, when Jesus was staying with them, the disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized but water, with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this, I think, is probably one of the, the, the miracles that happened within the disciples that, you know, they, they, they listened to his words and they, they're like, okay, Jesus is gone. What am I, well, he's ascended, he's not gone, he's in heaven now. What are we gonna do? There's still the Pharisees, there's still the people that just, murdered him, and then he came back to life, and they're still there. Like, how do we, do we live in this tension? Do, do we go back home and become fishermen again, or what, what do we do? But they had the faith to wait. That's exactly what they did. It says in verse 12, it says, then, so after Jesus ascended, it says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, all the disciples. And it says this in, in verse 14. So all these with one accord themselves to prayer. So all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. 
So what did they do when they were waiting? They didn't just wait and be like, okay, here I am. But they waited in prayer. And do you know how long they waited in prayer? We can kind of figure this out. You can look into it. Uh, I'm not going to explain all the details. But they waited for 10 days. They met together, praying together. These are the same guys that 50 days prior, on the night when Jesus was crucified, they couldn't stay awake for an hour praying with him. And here they're like, day after day, like, what are we going to do? We got to get together and we got to pray. And I start wondering, you know, I wish we had in scripture what their prayers were. And and I wonder what they would have been praying. And and I I have a feeling like, okay, this is me kind of going off the cuff. Okay, if I was going to think through, what would they be praying? This isn't scripture. This is is Aiden's thoughts. It's like, I wonder if it's kind of like what we've been doing on Sunday nights with this Encountering God series of like, let's pray, you know, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you were with us and you say you're going to do something that I'm not sure I understand, but God, you say you're going to send your spirit, but here we are. We're just, we're, we're waiting on you. We are here. Send your spirit. These prayers of seeking, prayers of just looking for God to show up and do what he's going to do, of waiting on him. And what they were doing is what Ed Zeider is, I feel like he calls his first principle that he lives by, which is to put yourself in a position to be transformed. They were, and what that looks like is this, this, this waiting on God for him to move, for him to fill, for him to, to come in and, and, and do something that we were just saying, come spirit, do what only you can do. Because at the deepest levels of our hearts, we have to admit that we cannot transform ourselves, that this is the work of God. All that we can do is like those disciples did, is to make themselves available for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill. This act of surrender, of saying, okay, not my will, God, but yours. Here I am. Come and fill. Put ourselves in a position to be transformed. So I think I mentioned before that I was reading through a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Let me say that again, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a guy named John Mark Comer. And uh, in it, it talks about these principles of, uh, or practices or habits of how to walk more like Jesus walks, how to apprentice under Jesus, to become more like him. And he says, if you look at Jesus' life, he was not in a hurry. He kind of did what he saw the Spirit doing. And, and he said, how do we do that same thing? And he actually, in the book, there's a guide. You can print out this PDF you download. It's called, um, it's called How to Unhurry. And in the very first section of it, he talks about silence and solitude. How do we approach God and just rest in his presence? Because I know, like, when I sit down and try and be silent before him, my brain just goes like, okay, I got to do this. Okay, I got to do that. And, like, our brains, you know, there's this external silence, which we may be able to achieve if you don't have young children or you put them away somewhere. Then you can get this external silence, right? There's silence around you. But then there's this internal silence, which is so much harder. And so he has some practices on what can we do to work on this internal silence before God. And at the very end of the exercise, he writes this which caught my eye as I was preparing for this about being transformed. He says, before you end this exercise of of practicing silence and, and stillness, he writes, spend a little while just abiding in the vine. Just simply sit in loving attention on God. 
And then he says this, and I'd never really thought about this before. He said, watch God watching you in compassionate love. Let me read that again. Watch God watching you in compassionate love. And he writes, this is the core of all transformation into Christ-likeness. Through resting under God's loving attention toward us by the Spirit, and in that, we are transformed. So, if we are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, then we, like those early disciples, must wait on the Lord. We must put ourselves in a position to be transformed. We must seek His presence. You know, I ask, well, okay, what does this look like? Does it always look like just sitting silent? And, and, and he talks about in his book, and there's a whole bunch of other ones, um, An Invitation to a Journey is another book uh, that I think I referenced before, but it talks about there's so many different ways for us to connect with God, to seek his presence. You know, for some of us, that, that is sitting in silence and stillness. Some of us, like uh, he says in here, if you're the Myers-Briggs type S, you, you just can't sit still. You got to do something. So find some laundry to fold while you're seeking his presence or find something for your hands to do or to work on. Or, or maybe you connect more with nature and it's a, you know, I seek God's presence as I'm outdoors and walking in the woods. Or maybe it's someone who, you know, it's in worship and music and that's your kind of thing. And so you come before his presence with singing. And for me to share a story of what this looked like for my life, again, I, I, it just, um, I wasn't even necessarily thinking, okay, okay, God, fill me with your spirit. But th this is the story of, of, I was in Vermont uh, traveling, and we were, we were traveling with, uh, again, Emily's brother, James. Uh, we were visiting uh, my wife's father, and, uh, and then he was driving in a separate car that he was borrowing, and then uh, they... Too many details. I was driving his car. She was, he was so that Emily and he could ride together. And in this car, they, I, by myself, it's like, oh, you know, I'm kind of bored, trying to stay awake. Let's put on some music. Push play on the CD player. It's a CD of Whitney Houston. So I'm like, I'm not a Whitney Houston guy. I haven't really listened to Whitney Houston before, but I'll, I'll give her a chance. And uh, so I play through, maybe skip a song or two uh, until I get to the end of the CD. And then at the end of the CD, and the, whatever the CD was, it had the song Amazing Grace. And all right, she can sing. She's got a great singer. And then, uh, so there I am in driving this country road in Vermont. I start singing along, you know, I uh, once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And then like, and here I'm like worshiping with Whitney Houston, driving through the countryside. And then it just hits me of like, this is me. Like, this grace is for me. And I'm just like pouring my, I sing out a little bit louder and I sing a little, and I'm, I'm not like expecting God to do anything in this moment, but then in some instant, something happened and it's like, you know, okay, the heavens didn't literally open and sun didn't like shine down on the car or anything, but it's like my eyes were opened in this moment to God's great love for me. And like, I just start weeping as God pours out his love in my heart while listening to Whitney Houston. I don't know. He, God, God does crazy things. So that started a time of just this, this kind of intimacy and closeness and hearing God's voice. And, and, and I go back into my journal and from those times, and that, that's the season as we were preparing. If you know any of our story, we used to live in State College, and then we moved up to Williamsport to be part of a church plant. That's God was doing a work in my heart in preparation for going. I don't think I really connected those two things until recently of his pouring out his love of encountering God in order to be ready to go. So we go. Why do we go? Because 
he empowers us to go. We go because we encounter him, which is exactly what the next part of this verse says. So part one, putting ourselves in a position to be transformed. And what happens? He says, and you will be my witnesses. And I think I want to pause right there for a second because so often, like, it seems like the church takes the words like witness and testimony and, uh, and we kind of use it in our own church sort of context and we sort of forget the root of what these words are all about. That this is actually quite like legal terminology. And, you know, since I've watched a lot of Law and Order, I know what legal stuff is, right? That's my legal training. Um, yeah, I've seen some episodes. So what is a witness? When they call a witness to the stand... This is someone who was there. This was someone who firsthand experienced, in that instance, a crime of some sort. That they could say, okay, yeah, that was the guy who did it. Were they two things that were called character witnesses? I had to search that one. Is that really a real thing? Yeah, that's a real thing. Character witnesses. They can say it's a, usually a close family member or someone who lives nearby them or a parent or something like that and says, yeah, I have been with this person so much. I know their character. Therefore, I can come and stand on the stand and I can have, give a testimony as to what they are really like. And so we think about to be a witness for Jesus, how can we do that if we haven't really encountered God? And so that's why that first part putting ourselves in a position to be transformed is so important. If we're going to be a witness, we have to have something that we've, that we've encountered, that firsthand knowledge and ex- that we've experienced and say, okay, this is what God has done in my life. And let me share that with you and tell you firsthand. Or to be like, can we be a character witness for God? Like say, okay, actually, yeah, I have spent so much time with him that I can be a character witness and say like, no, 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 no. Okay, you may think God is like this, but let me tell you, he's like this. How do you know? Well, I know him. I've been with him to be a witness of God's goodness. And as I'm preparing, like, okay, what does this look like? What is this, how, how does this work out? And, and, and uh, the parable of the kingdom buried in, or the treasure that's buried in a field came to mind. Of like, this is, this is you know, can you imagine, like the, the, there was a treasure that a man found. He went out and found a treasure in a field. What did he do? He sold everything that he had so that he could buy the field and own that treasure. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, this thing of such great value. We would do anything to get it. And can you imagine that guy, like once he found the treasure and he owned it, like how much he'd be like, hey guys, look what I found. I've got this treasure. And how much like his heart would change about like this excitement for what he had, a witness of what he has found. Like this is what we are called to be a witness for. And this is what actually Ed, Ed Ziders, his principle number two was this. He said that, you know, in everything, that always to seek the good of the other above yourself. To seek the good of the other above yourself. It's like, okay, and you need me to connect some dots here because how does finding treasure in a field and like talking about it really equate to seeking the good of the other? Because I usually think of seeking the good as like, you know, small tangible, tangible care type things. I'm going to seek the good of someone, so I'm going to help them shovel their snow. Or I'm going to help, you know, these are really good things. There are felt needs, which can be a doorway. Don't get me wrong, like these are awesome ways to minister to people. And, and, but I'm thinking there's something bigger. What is the greatest good? And, and um, so another story of when we were in Peru at another time, uh, we were part of um, a mission trip to 
Trujillo, which is north of Lima, about three hours drive, and it's one of the Envision uh, sites with Incalink. And um, part of their ministry, well, what they did is they, they started a church there of, among some of the poorest in that city. And once the church was established, they said, hey, guys, you have a ministry here in your city. They said, who, who do you think? Who's God putting on your hearts to go? You two are sent to go. Just like we were sent to you, you're sent to go to reach someone else. And uh, the story I heard was the missionaries, they thought, like, hey, they'll go to, like, the next social status level up, to the next people who have maybe a little bit more. But the Peruvians, they, were, they said, kind of surprised, and said, actually, you know, we might kind of seem like we don't have much, but there's this group of people that live over by the garbage dump. And like, they didn't say and like, they said, and they don't have anything. And so this church that had very little, instead of going after someone who had more, they looked to the least of the least of these. And so that's part of the mission's experience. Um, if you ever go there, or at least when we went, this was part of the experience was to go. And they prepare you for it, and they say, okay, make sure, you know, if you know, if you're familiar or been to Peru, like their, their uh, sanitation, their uh, plumbing cannot handle toilet paper, so all of that gets thrown in the trash. It ends up in the dump. This is where we're going. All of their, you know, hospital and biological refuse and waste ends up in the dump. Make sure you wear boots, because you don't want to step on a needle or something like that, or contamination. Um, we're going to go, there's going to be, you know, they try and keep the kids out, but sometimes there's kids playing around in the, in the garbage as well. Um, and they said, well, okay, we're going to go to a fruit market and, you know, buy some fruit, and, but make sure you get stuff that has peels on it, like oranges or bananas, so that they don't have to hold the skin that they're going to be eating in their hands, because there's no place to wash your hands. Uh, and then we're going to bring this fruit uh, into them, and we're just going to go and be with them uh, and spend some time there. So like, okay, I take my like, whatever, $5 and go buy some fruit and not really sure like, how much do I buy? And they're like, oh, no, that's fine, that's good. And then they drop us off, uh, you know, and, they, and they go with us and they say, okay, we're gonna walk in there and just meet some folks and talk with them. And there I am like holding a bag of fruit. And I think that moment just to realize my complete inability in and of myself to like create any sort of long-standing change for these people. And like, here I am, probably having spent more than they make in five years just to get on a plane to be there, and I come with $5 worth of fruit. And if that's all I had to give, then how sad. But that's not the full story. And thankfully, that's not it. That's not, that's not everything. So we look at their physical needs. But this can be a doorway into conversation. But this can be a doorway into, into you know, asking about spiritual needs. This can be a doorway into a conversation of like, okay, what is your name? Can I just get to know you? Do you have any kids? You know, how old are they? And maybe that there's some sense that I can be there and to see them and to be able to say, look, I don't know if this means anything or makes any sense to you, but I'm here to tell you that just like I see you, Jesus sees you, that he cares for you, that our presence might be a testimony of the goodness of God. And to know that it's just like, I was there for one day, and I, and I, and I can think in my, like, okay, what good is it if I just showed up one day and then I'm gone? But to know that we are part of a larger missions organization that isn't there just one day, to know that there are people who are there in and with them, that is connected to a church ministry that's continually doing outreach and saying, okay, 
I am some small part in this. And to know that to be with them, to pray with them, to minister to their spiritual needs can be so much more. And to truly seeking the good of the other above myself is to, to share this greatest good. If I have found this greatest treasure, then, then we would go anywhere to anyone to share that greatest treasure. And so this is why we go as well. We go to share that treasure of great worth wherever God would lead us. The last part of the scripture, Jesus says that that will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so if we look at it on a map, okay, we've got geographic locations. We see like, okay, Jerusalem, this is the city. This is where it all happened. This is where the disciples were gathering in the upper room. He says, look, you're going to be my witnesses here in this city. And then there's Judea, which is kind of to the south of Jerusalem. And there's Samaria that's just north of it. So we kind of have these concentric circles that are expanding outward. And we've got, you know, Judea is the, the, this is where the Jews lived. And this is the people that were like them. You're going to go to these people who are like you. And you're going to be my witness. Talk about me. You're going to go to, into Samaria. This is the place that the Jews avoided. They would walk around it. You can think of the story of the Good Samaritan. Why is that story so surprising? Because the good guy was the bad guy to the Jews. And he says, no, you're going to be my witnesses in these people that you think are the bad guys. These are going to be these people who you think are not like you, but you are called to go, whether they're like you, whether they're not like you. And he says, to the ends of the earth, that this is, this is just going to keep expanding and expanding till the entire, till all nations are reached. And so, so often, I think, the church, um, we, we, we then kind of translate this into our own, own setting. And I, I'm guessing Luke, because Luke wrote Acts. When Luke was writing this, he wasn't thinking, hey, I'm going to write these uh, cities down. Well, this, I'm going to write these down because this is what Jesus said. But he probably wasn't thinking in his head, okay, the church someday in State College, Pennsylvania, they're going to think of themselves as Jerusalem. And then they're going to expand it outward. But I think it's kind of helpful if we kind of retranslate this into what does that look like for us to have concentric circles ever expanding for the mission? If we are a church on mission what does it look like to be on mission in our city, to be a witness of God here? And I think, ah, this is front yard mission. This is what we just heard about last week. This is a, loving our neighbors. This is being present in our communities. This is inviting people into our homes. This is inviting people into our church. This is inviting people into, into relationship with you. Somewhere I have it here. And we are being more intentional as a church to have opportunities for you to invite people, whether they are near God or far from him, whether they know him a little bit or don't know him at all, to say, hey, why don't you come? Are you curious about like, what it is that we believe? So in two weeks, we're going to have Michael Ferris here sharing about a journey to the potter's house and this is like a visual demonstration of the gospel through his pottery. He's going to be working with clay, showing how a lump of clay can be worked and molded, and sometimes even through painful processes that God can use that for good and for beauty. A powerful message, a powerful invitation for the gospel, a powerful invitation for us who are gathered to healing and I'm praying now that God would move mightily through this Sunday as an opportunity. So 
If you have someone that you've been talking with, you can say, hey, actually, you're kind of curious about what we believe. Well, we're going to have a guy who has a really cool demonstration of what, what, what this Jesus thing's all about. You might want to come check it out. So we have cards out at the info center. Um, take some with you. You know, who's God placing on your heart in our city here that maybe he's already, you know, the harvest is ripe. This could be the moment. So it's an intentional time to invite people in and to invite them to a relationship with Jesus. So in our Jerusalem, our city, or maybe it's our, uh, a call to, uh, on our lives, not just to our city, but to our region, like our Judea. Uh, I was thinking through this. I'm like, what an opportunity to dream. Like, what might God be doing in our region? We heard from uh, Josh Grimes about church planting in our region. I wonder if God might even be raising someone up who's here or who was here in these chairs with Route 252 that God might be raising up to be the next church planter out of State College Alliance Church. Or maybe you're sitting here in the congregation right now. Or maybe the Judea is going and serving with, you know, an organization that works in our community. You know, I think of like Orphan Care Alliance, which we'll be focusing actually next Sunday is the, the Orphan, Orphan Sunday, focusing on the work of that important ministry of caring for those kids who have no one else, that, that, that they don't have a mother and father to care for them. That could be part of our Judea. And I think about Samaria, you know, that, that there are people in our region, particularly with the university and bringing people from all over the world, that the nations have come to us. And there are so many opportunities with that, even like right within our church. There's a Thursday night group that just started up this fall, working with adults and like just conversational English. And what an awesome opportunity to be in that Samaria with people who are not like us. Or Saturday night, there's groups that, that, that meet, uh, ICF in the gym. Awesome opportunity. Or maybe it's something out of the cold. You know, people who are not like us. You know, if, the, if you're like, I'm guessing most of us have a place to sleep at night. So someone who's homeless or without a home would be not like us, and that could be an awesome place to be our, your Samaria to go. And then to the ends of the earth. That there's no limit to this and how far this goes. And, you know, when I think about, okay, we're part of this Christian and missionary alliance, that this is a family, this Acts 1-8, Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family, that we are set up as a, as a global missions movement. And we have a branch that's called Envision, that's specifically for raising up workers to go out into the fields, called Envision. And this is, what this is their, like their mission statement. It says that Envision, they, they identify and develop missional leaders who innovate establish and strengthen communities of faith in key urban environments. That we do this through short-term trips, internships, leadership development, ministry opportunities in the Alliance family. So they have domestic sites all across the United States. They have international sites all around the world. They have trips as short as like a long weekend. I took a crew to New York City at one of their sites for uh, three days, like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, up to two weeks internationally, or if like something more, they have the internships from like one month up to a year or a residency, the two years of your life that you could give to exploring international. What does it look like to, be, to work to the ends of the earth? That there are opportunities, the same way of like dreaming about church planting and kind of dreaming here, like perhaps the next international worker could be sitting here. Again, not that all of us are called to go overseas for a long term. But all of us are called to go. And so this takes me to the, the Ed's last principle of how he leads it, lives his life. 
And he, he said this, that he always aims to be of the greatest usefulness to God. To be of the greatest usefulness to God. And I think we got to be careful with this because we, as soon as we put the word greatest in there, like my tendency is to look at things through the, through, through the, the, the lens of the world. Okay, so if I'm going to be the greatest usefulness, then that means I'm going to have like an audience of thousands and... Um, you, you know, I'm going to maybe go start some organization and it's going to do some huge impactful work. Um, maybe, but maybe that's my idea of what the world thinks greatest looks like. And when we look at the word greatest in scripture or what some call like Jesus's greatness principle, he shares it in Matthew 23, 11. And he says, actually, guys, the greatest among you shall be your servant. So we kind of have to flip this around. We think about what is the greatest usefulness to God that really, it, it's not about us. And I love that one. If you've ever, uh, I'm not sure if it's still there, but when we went to um, Hannah's Hope in Peru, in the lunchroom, in English written on the top, it, had, it said, it's not about you. That, that this idea of missions, it's all about God and what he wants to do. And what, we, what do we do? We surrender. And we say, okay, God, use me. We say, where are you calling me? Maybe it's, maybe it's right here to this city. Maybe it's to this region. Maybe it's to the world. That he puts a tug on our heart. And then it's up to us to just to be obedient, to follow. That we come and we pursue his presence. And he, 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 he pours out his spirit on us. And he says, okay, you're, you are empowered to go. So Go. So in my going, you know, uh, being not about, you know, this finding out how this is not about me, you know, I, I've learned several things that, you know, that the biggest thing is that I cannot save anyone. But in my going, I can point to a savior who does save. You know, in my going, like, I, I can't go and fix a big problem, but I know a savior who can I really learn about my inability to fix things and my insufficiency. You know, it's less about, you know, my, my ability to work with kids or to teach them or to, you know, teach a Bible verse or whatever. And it's more about me going to learn from those who I'm going, who I'm going to serve. And yet I go to learn from them. I think that I'm going in faith, like, hey, I have faith to go. But really when I get there, I find that, I'm learning what true faith looks like as I look into the eyes of those who have nothing and literally are relying on Jesus and praying for their daily bread and receiving that in faith to learn what true faith is, to learn what true generosity is, to, to, to go to a garbage dump and to be invited into a home where there's basically made out of pieces of trash and then for them to offer me a drink to learn what true generosity is. When I give out of my excess and they give out of like their poverty and all that they have. And so in our going, God works in our hearts. So why do we go? You know, ultimately it's not about us and what we can do, but it's all about Jesus and what he can do. Ultimately it's not about, it's about, it's because he commands it. He says, go. And so we go. And it's all about the, this, this gospel. It's a gospel issue that Jesus was sent to us, that Jesus wants to restore us, and then he wants to use us to be sent together for the good of the world.
So in our going, as we take steps of faith, it kind of brings us back around. And we're saying, like, what has God done in my heart in going? Well, we can put ourselves in a position to be transformed. Back to that principle number one. We can be, by, by sitting in stillness and silence before God, but we can also be put, putting ourselves in a position to be transformed in our going and being, finding ourselves face-to-face with God and someone who is completely not like us, but to find ourselves in his presence and be amazed at the work that he's doing in their faith and generosity. So, I'm going to call the worship team back up uh, to the stage as we wrap up here. But kind of at this moment of like asking yourself, you know, if, if you are here, if we're still breathing, then God has something for you. If you're still on the earth, he still has something for you to do. He still wants you to, to, to encounter him and to, there's more, there's more that he has for us. We were singing that earlier, God, more of you. And then in that, we're not just to sit here with that and to counter, encounter God and just be like, okay, I'm good, but to like be on mission. What does that look like? What is he stirring in your heart? If it is, you know, front yard mission, get connected, reach out. If it's a partner organization or someone we've connected with, or hey, I'm passionate about orphan care, or hey, I'm passionate about international, I'm passionate about this, like God uses those passions. Maybe it's to like, hey, you know, actually, I think I really want to go and experience something that's completely out of my comfort zone. Put myself in that type of position to be transformed by God and to take a step of faith. Reach out and let me know. Like, let's put together a, let's put together a trip next summer. And go somewhere. Not because we have all the answers, but more so like because so that we can just take a step of faith and see what God might do in our hearts. Maybe he's leading some of us, some church planters, some international workers, who knows? So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that that you were so in love with your creation that, uh, God, that you could not leave us broken, but that you would be that first missionary who was sent and who came that you might be with us, that you might experience with us, that you might take on all of our sin, that you would take that to the cross and then uh, to give that greatest gift of, gift of new life in you. God, would we not just hold on to that gift for ourselves, but would we receive it so that we might pass it on? Spirit, lighten our hearts of fire in a fire that we just cannot sit still. Pour out your love on us. That we would be transformed by your presence. That we would have something to witness about and to say of your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your healing. Speak to us. And may we be faithful then to go wherever it is that you call us. Jesus, we thank you, we trust you, we love you. We know that you are up to something good in our hearts and our lives. May we just make ourselves available to you, to your spirit. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.